0: Hebrews 1, verses 1-4. to God's Word says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of, of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs let's pray father we thank you for this day that we're able to open up your word Father, this morning as we begin to unpack this, pac- this passage of Scripture, may You illuminate it to us that we are able to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ in our community. For Your glory, for Your renown among the nations, and for our good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this, this book of Hebrews, it was written to the Jewish Christians living in the face of persecution. It's written to those who are in danger of compromising the Gospel. They're facing extreme persecution for the faith. But some may seem as if they're drifting away. So this letter is written to encourage them and to spur them on. You, you think of football teams before they run out onto the field. They have a routine of, of tapping a sign, like Notre Dame, they, they, before they run out of the field, they tap a sign that says, "Play like a champion today." A uh, Clemson. It, it's, they, they run down a hill, they touch a rock and they run down this hill. You think of LSU, they tap a sign, "Go Tigers before they run out of Death Valley." These four verses, these four verses for this book is like that. It's it's setting the stage for the whole book of Hebrews, which is to encourage Christians who are weary and remind them of who Christ is. That Christ has come in the flesh and He does not waver. In a world full of unfulfilled promises, Christ does not fail. Christ has met all the promises and expectations of the Old Testament. He's fulfilled them all. And so the greatest gift To us is our sovereign Savior and Lord. So our first point for this morning as we look through this passage is that Jesus Jesus is the sufficient King. Jesus is the sufficient King. And we can read verses 1 and 2. Long ago, and many times and many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things through whom also He created the world. So here, in, in these two verses, the author is dividing how God has spoken this message of salvation into two eras, two recipients, two agents, and two ways. So the two eras that God has spoken is in the past and in these last days. The two recipients are to our fathers and to us, and the two agents were through the prophets, and then by his son. And the two ways were in various ways, signs, wonders in the Old Testament, and then in one way. So in the past, God has spoken in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the agents of which God's message was was heard were, were through the prophets. Those who received this message uh, were our fathers. But in these last days, which is the New Testament, God has spoken He has spoken in His Son. And we are the people in these last days who receive this good news. The message is the same. It has not changed, nor will it change under heaven. There has been only one message of salvation. So the prophets, the signs, wonders in the Old Testament showed God's kindness, but also pointed forward to the Son, they are anticipating, they are foretelling of this day. In the Old Testament, they were not saved by the blood of goats or bulls. Hebrews 10.4, if you look later in this letter, Hebrews 10.4 says, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So God's message of salvation is clear. And Old Testament saints were saved by the Son who was coming. Abraham was saved by faith. We look at uh, Romans 4, verse 3. Abraham believed, and it was credited, credited to him as righteousness. Counted to him as righteousness. So the only way for your sin to be forgiven is by Christ. The only way for salvation is by the Son. And so when we look at these events of the Old Testament, they were pointing forward. They were longing for the day. They were looking forward to Christ. We think of the Passover where the blood of the Lamb was put on the door for the Israelites and death passed over. And for the Egyptians who did not have the blood of the Lamb over their door, death entered the house and killed the firstborn. So the Passover was pointing forward to the Lamb of God who was slain on the cross for His people. Jesus is the Passover Lamb. He's the the tabernacle. He's the temple. He's the tent of meeting. These are things that are looking forward to Jesus. The Gospel of John starts off by saying that Jesus dwelt. He tabernacled among us. So these events in the Old Testament, they were pointing forward to the New Testament and New Covenant found in Christ. And so this phrase, in verse 1 concerning the prophets, uh, we've got to think about the context in which this was written concerning the prophets. It demands a response. It demands a response. The Jews say the prophets do not speak of Jesus. But for a Jewish Christian who is struggling in the midst of intense persecution, this would cause them to rejoice. This would cause the believer to rejoice. Yes, Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. Isaiah talks about the suffering servant that Jesus was he's upon the cross. The prophets testify of the son. In Acts 18:28 it says that Apollos powerfully refuted the Jews in public by showing the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. In Acts 18 what were Apollos scriptures that he had? It was the Old Testament. It was the prophets. The New Testament is a confirmation of what the Old Testament taught. That there is a Messiah. A King is coming. And that King is Christ Jesus. And that leads us to verse 2. That God has spoken. He has spoken in His Son. This is the main point of the book of Hebrews. That God has spoken in His Son. We're to look to Jesus. We're to press on in faith. We're to keep running the race. In your your suffering, in your troubles, in your trials, God is not silent. He has already spoken in His Son. You have a Redeemer. You have a kinsman Redeemer. So if you look for salvation apart from Christ, you will not find it. God has spoken, finally and forever, in the Lord Jesus Christ. There will not be another Redeemer to die for sin. Christ is sufficient. The Son is the one who inaugurates the last days. God's Word is final in His Son. There is no other name in heaven by by which men may be saved. And so in these last days, we have the Son. What God has said in the Old Testament does not contradict what is done in the New. The Old Testament anticipated what was coming in the New. J.C. Ryle said that men wonder Sometimes that ministers press them so strongly to read the Bible. They marvel that we say so much about the importance of preaching and urge them so often to hear sermons. Let them cease to wonder and marvel no more. Our object is to make you acquainted with God's Word. We want you to have a good hope, and we know that a good hope must be drawn from the Scriptures. Without reading or hearing, you must live and die in ignorance. Hence we cry, search the scriptures, and your soul shall live. So, beloved, this morning, how has God spoken in his son? The Son is greater than the Old Testament prophets because he is the one whom they prophesied. All the Old Testament promises and prophecies are fulfilled in the God man, Jesus Christ. It is done, it is finished. Salvation is found only in the Son. Hope is found only in the Son. Jesus is enough. And then Scripture here gives us seven attributes about Christ. If we look through verses 2 and 3, the Bible is describing to us who our King is. And So these attributes that describe Christ are to encourage believers in the midst of trials and sufferings. And we know when we know who our Christ is, when we know who Christ is, we keep our eyes on the goal. When we think about Christ, we live in a manner that will bring Him glory. And each attribute should cause us to reflect differently about King Jesus in our trials. One of the main points of Hebrews is that when we go through trials, when we suffer, when we face hardships in life, we're able to look to Christ. And so, we will walk, we will walk through these, these seven attributes briefly this morning. But as we know, when we, when we think about Christ and what He has done on our behalf, we can, we can spend a, a good amount of time camping out on these attributes. So it's a, it's a beneficial thing for the Christian to reflect upon um, Upon these things, who our King is, and particularly in this season, in this Christmas season, uh, we may be asked questions, uh, why has why Christ come? Why is Jesus the only way for salvation? And so if you're able to spend some time this week, uh, spend some devotional time thinking through these attributes of Christ. And so the first attribute uh, that the writer mentions is that the Son, the Son is whom God appointed heir of all things. The Son is whom God appointed heir of all things. God has made His Son the heir. So what does this mean? What does this mean? All things, all things will answer to the Son. All things give account to the Son. When the early church read this, they would look to passages like Psalm 2 verse 8 where it states that the nations will be the heritage of the Anointed One, and the ends of the earth will be His possession. So Jesus is King over all things, all nations, all tribes, all tongues. Abraham Kuyper famously said, there's not one square inch on earth where Jesus, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. The Son, Jesus Christ, is appointed in this position as heir. And so when we suffer, when we suffer, the Son, who is the heir of all things, is with us. And since He is over all things, our sufferings, our trials, our struggles are not in vain, but they're used for God's glory and for our good. The second attribute we see in this passage is that the Son is the one through whom uh, also God created the world. The sun is the one through whom God, God also created the world. Jesus is the one who created the stars, the galaxy, the universe. This same Jesus, while He created the stars, knows the hairs on your head. The one who created the mountains, the seas, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. He knew you in the womb. He knows the deepest struggle or the pain in your life. He knows where you're really placing your hope. Beloved, Jesus didn't just create the world. He sustains it. He sustains it. 2019 has has been an interesting year. But the throne in heaven did not budge. You think of the song He's got of the whole world in His hands. While He has you in His grip, While He has you in His grip, Christian, you can rest well. Because as you sleep, the same God who is working in you is working in your brother or sister in China or in Russia or in the Middle East. We get tired. The Lord Jesus does not. The Lord of Heaven does not slumber. He does not slumber or grow weary. So when we suffer or face trials in this life, the Son who created the world is over us and our current situation. So we can pray to our King who will care for us, who will intercede for us. And then in verse 3 we see the third and fourth attribute in this passage. That He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of His nature. Here we see that Christ represents the will of the Trinity. He's the second person of the Godhead. He's carrying out the Father's will. It was the will of the Father that the Son would take on flesh. And it was the will of the Father that the Son would be crushed upon the cross. Isaiah 53.10 And the Son is the reflection of the Father. There are some that have have bought into this teaching that the the Son is the Father incarnate. But this is not what the text is teaching us here or what the Bible teaches about the Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit have existed from eternity past and are co-equal as one. And in 1 John, we see it says that if you reject the Son, you reject the Father. This is how Christ is representing the will of our triune God. In Christ, this glorious light and gospel shines into the hearts of men and women. So what happens, what happens when one believes the gospel? The old person that followed the ways of the world, followed darkness, uh, is, is transformed. They're made new. Jesus gives them a new heart with new passions, with new desires. And so as Christians, we walk in the light as He is in the light. Jesus is the representation of the glory of God. And we as God's people are to represent God's glory in this world. So in our suffering and trials, our joy our joy reflects who we follow and worship. We need to suffer well and reflect the glory of our King in this world. The Son is the radiance, the reflection, and the imprint of the Father. Same essence, yet distinct in persons. And so, beloved, you have been given the Christ. You've been given the Messiah, the kinsman Redeemer. Do you really want trinkets and toys over the King? I think that's a question we need to ask for us in this season. Do we want these trinkets and toys or do we want the king who has freely given us, has given himself to us? The fifth attribute we see in this passage is that the son, the son is the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is upholding all things by His Word. His Word is sufficient. His Word upholds. His Word does not change. This this Word here, upholding, it it makes us think about guards at the gate uh, protecting the city or the, the king on the throne ruling the city. Jesus does both. Jesus does both. He guards the gate. He's the great shepherd tending to His sheep. But he's also the king on the throne that governs. And he's not a king. He's not a king who says, be gone, peasant. But he's a king who sits you at his table and makes a feast. That's that's who our king is. So if you're if you're not trusting in him, if you're not trusting in him, you will receive a guilty verdict from the king. That guilty verdict isn't purgatory where you can pray your way out. That guilty verdict is not annihilationism where your soul is destroyed or you cease to exist. The guilty verdict is that God and His righteousness, God and His righteous wrath will pour out His just judgment on you in hell for all eternity. So friends, if you are not in Christ, repent and believe. But beloved, for those of you who are in Him, He upholds the universe. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. He holds it all together. All are in His hands and it's all for His glory. So be unashamed of the gospel of Christ. In our suffering, our joy is in the King who protects and governs our lives. The sixth attribute we see in this passage is that after making purifications Purification for sins. So this phrase here is, is referring to the incarnation, incarnation to the resurrection. And in this season, during, during Christmas, we, we celebrate the virgin birth of Christ. His incarnation. The Son taking on human flesh. But we know that the manger was pointing to the cross. That Christ upon the cross would, would take the place for His people, for His bride, for His beloved. Samuel Stone wrote a hymn called, The Church's One Foundation. And there's a line in this hymn that says, From heaven He came and sought her to be His holy bride, with His own bloody He her, and for her life He died. One of my favorite passages in scripture, verses in Scripture, our brother read it this morning, Matthew uh, 121, that she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It's not that he might save. It's not that he will try to save. He will, he will save his people from their sins. So friends, we are guilty needing to be made pure. We need to be cleansed of our sin. But because of our sin, we stand guilty before a holy God. In the Old Testament, they would take a lamb and, this, and they would place their transgressions on this lamb. They would do this every year in front of the transgressor. This unblemished lamb was slaughtered. This was not a pleasant sight, uh, nor was it meant to be. But this act did not save. This act was pointing forward. It was pointing forward to Christ who is the spotless Lamb of God. He did not sin. He lived a perfect life and took the cross in our place. At the cross, Jesus got what we deserved. He bore the wrath of God. Only God can bear the propitious wrath of God. The One who was righteous stood in the place of of the unrighteous, so that those who are unrighteous would be declared righteous. Those who are pure, who are made right before God, are pure only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. In the 1700's, two German missionaries wanted to go minister to the slaves on the Caribbean islands. They were told that they would not be allowed to do that, so they sold themselves to a slave owner. And as the ship pulled away, it's recorded that they said, May the Lamb that was slain receive the reward of His suffering. Christ suffered upon the cross. He made purification for our sins. So, beloved, may the Lamb that was slain May the Lamb that was slain receive the reward of His suffering. The seventh attribute we see in this passage is that He sat down. He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. The Son is at the right hand of the Father. Psalm 110 says, Sit at My right hand. So this, this, this passage in Psalm One ten was pointing forward to this. Because the Son is at the right hand of the Father, the Father has placed on the Son the name above every name so that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. Either now in grace or later in judgment. John Owen said, Until men know themselves better, They will care very little to know Christ at all. So this morning, may we examine ourselves. May we look to Christ and to the cross. And we see here too, that He sat down. He sat down. What do you do when you sit down? It's done. It's complete. Salvation is found only in the Lamb of God. Salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. And so these things in the book of Hebrews were written to encourage Christians in the midst of suffering and trials. One thing that will quickly kill the idea of this uh, idea of the prosperity gospel, that living your best life now, that one thing is suffering. Cotton candy and lollipops will not get you through suffering. But Jesus will. Jesus will. If you haven't suffered, you will. Be prepared. How do we prepare? How do we prepare for suffering? By sound doctrine. By solid biblical teaching. By focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian is able to properly place our hearts and minds when when we suffer. We're focusing on Christ. We're looking to Christ. And so this is what the book of Hebrews says is doing for those in suffering. God has spoken in His Son. There's a purpose in your suffering. There's a purpose in pain. It's God's glory and for your your good. So these attributes and descriptions of Christ in this passage calls us to rest in Him in our suffering because He is sufficient. But also... We're called to share the gospel in the midst of our trials and sufferings because He is sufficient. We know how to suffer well because Christ suffered well for His bride. This leads us to our second point and our, our final point this morning. So we, we've talked about the sufficiency of our King and then we talked about uh, the, the seven attributes of our, of our, of our King, uh, Christ Jesus but then in verse 4, we see the supremacy. We see the supremacy of the Son. Let's read verse 4. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So this, this verse is stressing Christ's superiority over the angels. The angels know they are not superior to the Son, they are not equal to. To the Son, the last angels who thought they were superior to the Son were banished and judged. The angels worship the Son. So the rest of chapter 1 in Hebrews and chapter 2, it it shows the Son's superiority to the angels. In Luke 2, it is angels coming and saying, Fear not, for behold, I shall bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. For unto you is, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So in Hebrews 1.4, this, this word here being made or inherited does not mean that the Son did not have something. This inheritance is that He has been given all things. He's been given all things. It is... It is is. Uh, what the Son has been given to by the Father. He is over all things. God has spoken to us in His Son through whom He made the universe. So the Messiah, King Jesus, our Lord, sits at the Father's right hand. So the two points this morning we looked at is that the work of the Son is sufficient. The work of the Son is sufficient. And then Jesus Christ is superior. Those those two points are calling us and helping us uh, to remind ourselves of this purpose in life. What What we are to do, we're to live on mission for God's glory and for our good. The rest of the book of Hebrews, it shows that God has spoken in His Son in that Jesus is greater than the angels. We see that in chapters one and chapters uh, chapter one and chapter two. God has spoken in his son uh, in that, and he's greater than Moses in chapter three. He's greater than Joshua in chapter three and four, and then he's greater than the priests and sacrifices in chapters four to ten. So beloved in this season, do not doubt Christ or his pursuit of his people. But examine yourselves. May we examine ourselves. Can the world see that Jesus is your all? Is He your supreme joy? Are you rooted in the One who upholds the universe by the Word of His power? If not, what makes you different from any Jew who denies the virgin birth or resurrection? So beloved, put your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, you only get one life, and it will soon pass. Only what is done for Christ Jesus will last. Let's pray. Father, You are gracious to us in Christ Jesus. Because of our sin and rebellion against You, we were once far off. But now because of Christ, our kinsman and redeemer, we are brought to the table. We are brought to the feast. And you say to us, take and eat. Father, you are merciful to us and gracious to us. So may we think and continue to reflect upon the good news of the gospel in this season. So that as we have conversations with family, with friends, uh, with people that we work with, that we magnify Christ, that we glorify you and all that we do. And that we're a light, we're a witness for the Lord Jesus in this community. May we take this gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. In all this we pray, Christ Jesus.